this morning we're going to be dialing down a bit from the last two weeks. Now, if you were here for the last two weeks when Adrian's preaching, you'd know that he was preaching on Genesis 1 to 10. Who was here for that? There's quite weighty messages, weren't they? They were really good, actually. And if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to actually listen to them on um, the podcast because they were very, very good. But I thought, okay, we've got Easter coming up. Rachel next week is going to be preparing us for Easter with a Palm Sunday message. But this week, I've actually got a standalone session. And I thought, let's dial down a bit. Let's look at a slightly lighter and superficially more frivolous subject. So we're going to look this morning about what it's like to be a fool and to be foolish. And I think that the Bible has an awful lot to say on that subject. So who's up for that this morning? Looking at being a fool. Okay, now actually the worship has prepared us beautifully because there were quite a few words about being vulnerable and being more open. And then Matt was encouraging people to come up and be that little bit more foolish. And I felt in my spirit as I was preparing that the Lord wants to loosen us all up a little bit. He wants us to stop taking ourselves quite so seriously. Not to stop taking him seriously, but to stop taking ourselves quite so seriously. So while this morning I'm going to touch on a few warnings against foolishness, what I really want to do is flip that regular notion of being a fool on its head. And I want to encourage us to walk up here a little bit later being a lot more foolish than when we walked in. Okay? So this morning we're going to be looking at what the Apostle Paul actually means when he encourages first century Christians to become what he terms fools for Christ. Okay, so I'm going to throw it open to you. What do you think of primarily when somebody calls you a fool or you think of somebody as a fool? What are the words that come to mind? Keep them, you know, nice. Stupid. Yeah. An idiot. An idiot. It's insulting. Yeah, it's insulting if someone thinks of you as a fool. Embarrassing. Yeah. There's all sorts of negative connotations, aren't there? We generally think of a fool as an idiot, as someone who's a bit maybe feeble-minded, somebody who's made some really unwise and rash decisions. And so we have all of these negative connotations. But you know what? The word fool can actually be interpreted in positive ways, believe it or not, depending on what context it's in. Now, I'm going to give you a few examples where fools have actually been fated and they've actually been celebrated. If you think back to ancient Greek and Roman literature, you have a wise fool. Who's heard of the wise fool, that literary paradox, where you've got somebody who's set up as a fool, but actually they're quite wise. So you've got that. And then you've got, in medieval times, you've got that figure of the jester, who is actually not silly at all. They're actually usually very, very clever, very intelligent, very witty, and very funny, and they are employed to entertain actually, and often to satirise the society around them. And then the Shakespearean plays that many of us love to read or were forced to read at school. (laughs) Often they flaunt a fool, wouldn't they? And the fool, again, would be that wise fool, and they'd be satirising the society around them, highlighting the imperfections, and actually just showing, showing up. They'd often outwit, they'd often outsmart. They'd be very, very clever. So... That means that what kind of fool you are really matters. 
What we're going to do is this morning, we're going to, I said we're going to focus on the positives, but we've got to have a, few, a little look at some of the negatives in scripture as well. Now, we're going to look at the wrong kind of fool first. Now, I lead a women's group here on a Thursday morning, and those sentences don't run together. Because they are actually a very wise group of women. And we've been working our way through the book of Proverbs, and it's been a real delight, hasn't it? It's been amazing. And in fact, I got them on board to help me with this preach a bit. We were looking at what it was like to be a fool and what it's like to be wise. What I'd say is that a lot of Proverbs does warn against being a fool, being a wrong kind of fool. And there are so many warnings sort of juxtaposed where you've got somebody who's foolish and somebody who's wise. And I think I'm not wrong in saying that in the book of Proverbs, the word fool is mentioned over 40 times. There's an awful lot to be said. And I just want to give you a few examples from Proverbs. So, Emily, I think you've got the first one there for me. From Proverbs 10, 8, <coughs> says this, The wise in heart accepts commands, but a chattering fool comes to ruin. In the message, I always love to include the message, some great translations. A wise heart takes orders, an empty head will come unglued. So here, the fool is empty-headed. They're unwilling and unable to receive any sort of instruction. So we don't want to be that sort of fool. The next one is from the passion. If you shrug off an insult and refuse to take offence, you demonstrate discretion indeed. But the fool has a short fuse and will immediately let you know when he's offended. How many of us need to guard against that? I know I do. The fool here is somebody who's rash and who's quick-tempered. The next one, 18.6. Fool's words get them into constant quarrels. They are asking for a beating. In the message, you've got to love the message. The words of a fool start fights. Do him a favour and get him. <laughs> I love that. It's the fool that just doesn't know when to zip it. Again, we all have to watch out for that. And the last one, this is one that I may frame at home. Only a fool despises a parent's discipline. Whoever learns from correction is wise. <laughs> Love that one. And all the parents say? Amen. Okay. So all of these examples clearly have the negative connotation of a fool. The principal writer of Proverbs, King Solomon, he was somebody who asked God for wisdom, didn't he? He wanted wisdom. So he's keen to really get it across that wisdom is the goal, the opposite of foolishness. Proverbs is all about wisdom and wise choices as the key to a good and a godly life. So, as I said, we've been studying the book of Proverbs for the last few months and learning all about the merits of wisdom. But this morning, I, with the Apostle Paul, want to turn our regular notion of foolishness on its head and to encourage you to leave here more foolish than when you walked in as I've said, but not regular fools. We want to be those fools for Christ. So to do that, we need to look firstly at where the phrase comes from, what it means, and how we can do it. So, we're going to turn to our Bibles in a moment. Well, actually, I've got it on the PowerPoint, so you don't even need to do that this morning. You can just relax. Firstly, where does the phrase fall for Christ originate, and what does it mean? Now, Paul the Apostle, he coins this phrase when he's writing to the church in the Greek city of Corinth. 
And we actually studied Corinthians all a while back now, and we realised that they were a really tricky bunch. They were up to all sorts of shenanigans. And Paul is really intent on dealing with them quite firmly. He wants to pull them up by their bootstraps. He wants to teach them a lesson. And he wants to actually say, you know, come on, guys, you're falling out, you're disagreeing, you're behaving in the wrong way, you've got skewed views, there's so much going on with you that is not right. I only left you a few years ago, and already it's all going to pop. So he writes to them, and he says this. I'm going to ask our very own Paul to come up, and he's going to read from 1 Corinthians 4. I think we're going to have it on the screen as well, Emily. Thank you. And I've asked Paul to read this in a particular way. Oh, I know. You already have all you need. Since when did you become so content and rich without us? You've already crowned yourselves as royalty, reigning on your thrones, leaving us lowly apostles far behind. How I wish indeed that you really were reigning as kings already, for that would mean we would be reigning as kings alongside you. It seems to me that God has appointed us apostles to be at the end of the line. We are like those on display at the end of the procession, as doomed gladiators soon to be killed. We have become a theatrical spectacle to all creation, both to people and to angels. We are fools for Christ! But you are wise in Christ. We are the frail. You are the powerful. You are celebrated. We are humiliated. If you could see us now, you'd find that we are hungry and thirsty, poorly clothed, brutally treated, and with no roof over our heads. We work hard, toiling with our own hands. When people abuse and insult us, we respond with a blessing. And when severely persecuted, we endure it with patience. When we are slandered incessantly, we always answer gently, ready to reconcile. Even now, in the world's opinion, we are nothing but filth and the lowest scum. Thank you, Paul. And strong words there from Paul are very well read. Note the sarcasm in this passage. It was Paul, wasn't it? It was Paul and his companions. They were going all out for Christ. It wasn't the Corinthians. Paul and his companions are enduring mockery, slander, deprivation, persecution. And so Paul here is using this sarcastic tone to applaud the Corinthians in a really sarky way. He's saying, oh, you're so wise. You're so powerful and celebrated. And in fact, that's how they saw themselves says here, you've already crowned yourselves as royalty, reigning on your thrones, leaving us lowly apostles far behind. That's how they saw themselves. But he's contrasting the status that they've given themselves to his own. He's calling himself and his followers fools for Christ, because surely only fools would sign up for the whole list of hardship that he describes there. Now, we in our flesh, like the Corinthians, we'd shudder, wouldn't we, about uh, if somebody called us a fool. As Fraser said, it's insulting. It's debasing. But here, Paul is wearing it like a badge of honour. If they had T-shirts in those days, you know, he would have had a T-shirt, Paul the Fool on it, and he would have been wearing it, and he would have been really proud to wear that. 
and so he should have been. He is flipping that connotation of the word fool upside down. Now, as a former Pharisee, Paul was an expert in Jewish law and scripture, and he would have been intimately familiar and verse perfect with the scripture and all those warnings against foolishness, and yet he is claiming, reclaiming this word. And he is actually flaunting it as something to aspire to. He's saying, come on guys, be more foolish. You can aspire to be a fool for Christ. And that is the crux of it. Actually, it's for Christ alone, isn't it? He's not in inspiring them to be silly, to be foolhardy in the worldly sense, but to do anything for Jesus. I'm going to get you just to turn to your Bibles for a little bit. We're going to look in 1 Corinthians 3. This is the NIV, so you can follow it. If somebody could find it in the church Bible and give me the page number, that would be great. It would be a bit quicker. What was it? 1063 in some of the church Bibles. <laughs> right. So it's 1 Corinthians 3, 18 to 20. So Paul here, he'd already set the Corinthians up for a sarcastic address and that exhortation to foolishness. And this is what he said. He says this, Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. I'm going to read that bit again. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness, and again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. Here he's showing his credentials. He's quoting from Job and he's quoting from Psalms. And he's saying, I know actually what wisdom is and I know what foolishness is. But any of you that think you are wise in your own eyes, it's nothing compared to God's wisdom. So he's warning them, isn't he, of the pitfalls of self-deception, of arrogance and boasting and smugness. And actually not just warning them, we can all fall into that trap. In this age of science and logic and reason, all of those things that are really good, we can think we've got it sussed, can't we? But actually when set up against God's mind and what's going on for God and what God knows, all of that is foolishness. And Paul fully understood that upside down, topsy-turvy view of foolishness. And I think what is amazing with Paul is he went through so much and yet he could rejoice as well in being a fool. He could really embrace it. He'd come from that place of really high status, of high esteem, where he was a Pharisee. And now, at times, he was, he was imprisoned or he was just really down low with the taunting and the mockery. And why could he do this? Why could he do it? He could do it because he took Jesus as his example. Just consider that. God coming down to earth as man. And all the jibes, the taunts, the mockery that Jesus had to endure. Even to the very end. Even to that death on a cross. Even then, he was being taunted and mocked. And so, Paul could do this because he kept his eyes fixed on Jesus and on his example. I do believe that Paul must have had his moments of doubt and despair. Moments of real exhaustion because he was only human. But he chose time and time again 
to rejoice. He knew the joy set before him, and so he was determined to be that kind of joyful fool, a rejoicing fool. And that's quite an example for us, isn't it? He could be joyful and rejoicing because he was unashamed of his love for Jesus. All very well for Paul. I always think this when I'm looking at Paul. I think of all the things that he did and the ways that he was, and you just think, oh my goodness, that's for Paul. But actually, it can apply to us here and now, can't it? We might not be running the same risks of persecution or fear of death for our beliefs. Generally, are we really that maligned? Do we come under personal attack for our faith? I think we do a bit. In the media, for example, we come under attack a little bit. Sometimes in our family, we might be the butt of a joke, might have a little dig at us. Oh, in our workplace, at school, it can be difficult. But actually, we're generally not in fear of our lives, are we? And yet so many of us, myself included, and I work in a church, find it difficult in some contexts to stand up and speak out and be seen as different from my faith. Why is that? What stops us? And I've been thinking about this a lot this week. I think when you prepare to speak, quite often the Lord sort of pinpoints things in yourself that's a bit of a block. And I know that he's done that for me. And I just want to read out a few things. They're not all my problems. I'll just caveat it. <laughs> Some of them might be, but not all of them. But actually, they're things that might just resonate with you this morning as well. So my list was, I came up with, like, just embarrassment. Sometimes we feel a bit embarrassed of our faith. We feel like we seem a bit naive or a bit screwy in some way to some people. That might be true for some of us. We might be naturally self-conscious, and so we find it hard to speak up for anything. We might be people pleasers. We might be people that don't want to offend in any way. And of course it's right not to want to offend, but sometimes that does stop us from saying what we actually think. Sometimes it's looking for approval in the wrong places, isn't it? I think many of us can fall into that trap. And I do think it is natural sometimes. I'm not as brave as Paul. I think it's natural not to want to look foolish or naive or screwy. But the Lord challenged me on how many times I speak up for other things that I might feel strongly about. How easy is it for us to speak up for our rights sometimes? If we think we've been wronged, we'll speak up for our rights. Or our politics. Some of us have quite strong political opinions here. Our views on the climate, we talked a lot about that the last couple of weeks. Brexit, dare I mention it. All sorts of things that we find it easy to stand up for. And that really challenged me. You know, you can get so passionate about some things, but when it comes to our faith, we need that same, we need more actually, passion. Now I'm going to tell you a bit of a story about how I spoke up for something recently. And, um, well, I'll let you judge for yourself. So I was coming back from Kent, I think this was last summer, and I'd been up in Kent visiting my brother with my mum and with Izzy and with Tom. And for one reason or another, Izzy and mum were coming back um, in a separate carriage to Tom and I. I'd booked Tom and I onto a quiet carriage. I'd reserved the seats and we got onto the train. Everything was fine. We got onto the train at London Paddington, sat ourselves down, got out our sandwiches and our drinks and our iPads and our cards and all those sorts of things. 
ensconced ourselves, sat there for a few minutes, and a lady came up. She said, um, oh, excuse me, you're sitting in my seat. And I said, no, no, I don't think I am. Look at my reservation tickets. They were like, I don't know, say B23 and 24. I've got B23 and 24. Now I've got these tickets. She said, well, I've got B23 as well. I went, oh. I said, they must have double booked us. I said, that's a bit of a problem. I said, if it was just me, I'd move. But I've got my son with me. And do you think you'd mind actually moving sort of somewhere else? And she was ever so lovely. She said, look, I'll find another seat. It's absolutely fine. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll have a word with the train manager when he comes on. I said, because this sort of thing shouldn't happen. Really shouldn't happen. So it's not very good, is it? I mean, you know, we've worked it out between ourselves. But I'll, I'll have a word with the train manager. And I'll see if I can get some upgrade or something. She said, okay. Anyway... A little way into the journey, Tom and I have been sitting there, everything was going fine. Along comes the train manager, and I remember his name because it was quite, it was quite a conversation. So he had his badge on, Simon, and I said, um, oh, before I show you my ticket, Simon, I'd just <laughs> like to say, um, I know it's not your fault, but these seats have been double booked. I said, I booked online to make sure that I had these seats for myself and my son, and this lady down there very kindly has offered to move. But really, you know, we've, we've both got the same seats. And he said, well, that sort of thing doesn't happen. I said, well, it probably does. I said, you know, computer error and things like that probably, probably does happen. But, you know, it's not your fault. Don't worry about it. Maybe you could upgrade us to first class. <laughs> and he said, well, he said, well, let's have a look at your reservations. So he looked at the reservations, and yeah, they were the right reservations. And um, <laughs> he said, I don't know about first class. So we'll cup of tea. Maybe you could have a cup of tea from the buffet bar. And he said, well, we'll see. Let's just check your tickets. So he checked my tickets and he said, oh. He said, well, that would have been all right if you'd been travelling back on the right day. <laughs> You're actually travelling back a day earlier than your tickets are issued for. So I felt a complete idiot. It was the quiet carriage. I'd spoken up because I felt I was in the right. <laughs> Everybody was listening. <laughs> And really, it was in it, within his rights to actually charge me for those tickets as well. I didn't really know what to say, so I said, should I buy you a cup of tea? <laughs> so, he let me off. It was fine. But my point is that I had no compunction about actually making a little bit of a fuss, in a nice way, but I'm really, really asserting what I thought were my rights. I was totally in the wrong totally in the wrong. So I stood up and I spoke out and I looked like a fool. Would I be prepared to run the risk of looking a fool for my faith in the same way? Would I be as passionate about defending my faith on that train as I was about defending my seat? And it wasn't even my seat. <laughs> so if I determined, yes, I would like to do that, or at least, Lord, with your help, I want to get to a place where I can be that little bit more passionate and foolish. How do I do it? How do we do it? We've all got our own insecurities, haven't we? We've all got our own struggles. And I've mentioned some of them. But really, I suppose what occurred to me was, it boils down to this. We ultimately need to get over ourselves, that sense of self. And we need to stop looking in the wrong places for approval as well. We need to get over ourselves in our own eyes and in the sight of others. I think it's really important that 
even though we want our sense of self and we want our own sensitivities in some ways, we shouldn't let them get in the way of living out our lives for God and sharing our faith with other people. And I think quite often we allow those things to get in the way. And it can also be really easy for us to seek affirmation in the wrong places, can't it? I know I do that at times, because we all want approval. We all want to be loved, and I don't think that in and of itself is wrong. And we all have people that we would naturally look to, say a parent or a spouse or a close friend. And these people really do enrich our lives, and they help us to make those wise choices. My mum, for example, she will often speak into my life, whether I want it or not. Sorry if you're listening online, mum. But she will, she will be listening. She will speak into my life, and often she will hit the nail on the head, and she will say something that's completely right and just hits the spot. And it really annoys me, but I do value it as well. But then I have to remember that no one, not even my mother who gave birth to me, knows me better than the Father God who knitted me together in my mother's womb. And I have to go to him. It's so important to go to him each time and listen for his wisdom. And that may mean that we run the risk of looking like a fool in the world's eyes in the eyes of our family and our friends at times, sometimes the decisions that we might make might seem really unfathomable to people around us. But if we know that God's telling us to do something, if we are sure in our spirit, then we have to be prepared to look foolish. So, in closing this morning, we're going to have quite a bit of time for prayer ministry because I did feel that the Lord wants to do business with us over this this morning. I do feel that there is some things that we need to pray through together. So what you may choose to do this morning as we close is you might choose just to sit and listen to the worship. And as you do that, you might think, I'm just going to inhale God's love. And I'm going to breathe in some courage from the Holy Spirit. It may be that that is all you need to sit there and receive you may, on the other hand, choose somebody, a trusted friend, maybe your mission community leader, to pray through something that has really surfaced for you this morning. You may need, for example, to break off that need for affirmation in all the wrong places and to be able to look more to God. Whatever it is that you're going to ask the Lord for this morning, my prayer for each one of us has been that we do take ourselves less seriously, God more seriously, ourselves less seriously. And when we do that, we can become a lot bolder and a lot braver for Jesus. That doesn't mean insensitive. It doesn't mean intolerant of what others may think and their beliefs. But it does mean that we become bolder. I'm going to ask Simon and the band to come and set up. And there's a particular song that I've asked you to play to start with. And it's mainly because it's one of my favourites at the moment, because I just love the lyrics. There's a line in it that says, you are chosen, not forsaken. It says, I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. And I think that if we're going to loosen ourselves up, if we're going to take ourselves less seriously, then we have to really get into our spirits that we are exactly who God says we are, not what our skewed minds might say we are, not what somebody else might say we are, but who God says we are. So I'm just going to pray and I'm going to hand over to you, Simon.
So, Father God, I just ask this morning for that loosening up in us. Lord, I ask that those areas that you may have pinpointed for us this morning, Lord, will just become so apparent that we won't want to leave this place without dealing with them. Be it on our own, with you, or with someone else. Father God, I just pray that you peel back the layers for each one of us. We are a people of layers and we need those layers peeling back constantly. And Lord, I just pray that you'll peel back another layer for us this morning. I pray, Lord, that we will, all of us, want to spur each other on to become great big fools for you. I pray, Lord, that we can shake off the shackles of just feeling limited by ourselves and the opinions of others, that we will move around more freely in you. Lord, we thank you that you have created each one of us. You have knitted each one of us together in our mother's womb. And you have created us all for amazing things for you. So, Father, we just bring ourselves before you now. And we ask for that one touch from you, that one touch that can change everything. Ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.